Today we're going to start a, uh, a really short series. We're going through Second and Third John. And uh, if you've been attending here for a while, you know this is actually a long time coming. Uh, two years ago, over two years ago in the fall of 2020, we, we studied First John. And I finished that series and I said sometime soon, as the schedule allows, we'll also study Second and Third John. And now over two years later, here we are. So great things come to those who wait, right? But the Second and Third John, as, as um, Phil had said, are very small, very, very small. In fact, they are the smallest two books in all of the Bible. I have a Bible with fairly large print, at least for me, and they can't even get a whole page each uh, in the Bible. So with them being so small, they're often overlooked. But we're going to find over the next couple of weeks that they are jam-packed with things that can apply to our everyday lives and really change our faith, the way we look at the world, and certainly the way we look at uh, God and His Son, Jesus. But what I love about these letters is that these are actually some of the latest letters written in all of the, the New Testament, except for maybe Revelation. And so the early church is kind of underway. It's not really blossoming at this point. It's, it's pretty much developed. And we're seeing for them a lot of the stress that they're going through. And a lot of what they're going through then is what we're going through now. So it gives us lot, lots of application to pull as we go through this. But, but today really is about the truth and, and walking in the truth. And what we understand is that truth matters. Truth matters greatly. And I I know that what we believe changes how we live, how we see life. You know, for a small part of my life, uh, I believe that the moon was made of cheese. I have a brother two two years older than me. He convinced me of that, and I believed that for a time. I also believed a lot of other things. Uh, When I was uh, moving out of kind of the nursery and into a room with my brother, uh, I remember my mom telling me, okay, you can choose one of two beds, the one that's nearest the dresser or the closet. Now, I believed that closets had monsters in them, and so I didn't want that. But I watched a lot of Jetsons when I was a kid. And so if you remember in the opening credits of the Jetsons, he would come out and he would have this machine that would dress him from head to toe in the morning. I believed that was a dresser. And so you can understand my disappointment when I moved into the room with my brother and I was near this wooden box with drawers. I also believed at that age that Bigfoot was absolutely real. And the dresser was also right next to the window. So because of what I believed was true, I lived in fear for a number of years. And you see how this can kind of snowball in your life. What you believe to be true affects every part of your life both positively and negatively. But what we understand from 2 John is that what you believe about Jesus is not only important from day to day, it's not only important for the context of your life, but it is important for all of eternity. What you believe about Jesus matters, and it matters greatly. And when you seek the truth, and you find the truth, and you know the truth, then you are to walk in the truth. So this is going to be a message today. I hope that we can all walk away with things to apply to our life, but it's important today's day and age when when truth itself is up to debate. There's many who twist and distort the truth. There's some who just simply ignore the truth. 
But there's many who are now saying that truth itself does not exist, at least in a universal sense, that every person decides for themselves what truth is. But God is truth, and God reveals truth to us. When you know the truth, you walk in the truth. Let's pray together before we read and study today. So Lord, we just want to commit this time to you, this, this message, this, this little book, these, these 13 verses in 2 John, uh, that these words are timeless, that they apply to us today in every way as they did to the people back then, that the truth matters, the truth about you and your son really matters. And so God, I pray that we be people that seek that truth, that, that hear that truth and respond to that truth this morning. And God, as we're praying, we're just thinking about some of our brothers and sisters now as we've been praying over the last couple of weeks uh, who need our prayers for Scott McCown. We're thankful uh, for the surgery as he had a tumor in his brain that has been removed uh, completely as we believe. And we just pray for the tests now as they're still outstanding, uh, that they would come back and it's completely benign. And we just pray for your total he- healing there in that situation. We also pray for uh, Luann and the loss of her uncle Dennis and and all that's coming there with that sudden loss. But we pray for the service coming up that that we would honor Dennis's life, but more so that your truth would be proclaimed there and people can respond to that. And we also think about Ray Ekdahl as he was in the uh, hospital, uh, hospitalized on Friday, and he's still there uh, with pneumonia and COVID. We just pray for him and for for total healing and, and health and also just for wisdom for the doctors that are there. But God, all of this we commit to you because we know you are the source of truth, uh, that you you know all, that you see all, and that you love all. And so, God, we just commit all of those things to you. But this time again, God, I just pray that you'd be speaking to us through these words, that we would submit to them in obedience and love. And so we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, If you're uh, already open up to 2 John, we're going to read... All of those verses now, those will have them up on the screen if you'd like to join along there. The elder. To the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister 
who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Oh, we've got a lot to unpack in this. There's some things that are kind of hard to understand on the surface as you read them. But I think to start, we need to understand the context here. I'm going to just speak on this very briefly. And we see in the first verse, we're introduced to the elder and the lady and her children. And there's some mystery of, of who that might be, but, but every letter back then started with the one who sent it. The elder is the one who sent this, this letter, and it's universally accepted here that, that that elder is the Apostle John. And this is a, uh, a term that emphasizes his position and his personal relationship with the recipients. It's one uh, that is a leader of the church. He's come there with uh, character, integrity, reputation, and experience. He has authority in this sense with the people he's writing to. And the lady here is the one that's maybe up to a little bit more debate. Is this a specific lady and her children, or is he speaking metaphorically here? And both are possible, but a common, uh, common term they'd use for local churches of that time were ladies or women, that they would be the chosen women. And, and we see that also when, when Jesus refers to the church as his bride, that this is like someone that God has chosen and loves deeply. And this was common for churches to call each other ladies or, or sisters. So my belief is that this is a church he's writing to because he ends it by saying, the children of your sister, who are also chosen by God, Send their, send their greetings. It's one elder from a church writing to another church, and it's likely one of the churches in Ephesus that First John was written to. What we understand with this is that Ephesus was this church under attack by deception. There's all kinds of false teachings happening in Ephesus, especially when you read the epistle from Paul, which was written about 20 or 30 years earlier. Ephesus was a battleground. And this church was under attack by all sorts of lies and deceptions from false teachers that would come through. But the church was the elect or the chosen lady by God to persevere through all of us. And then their children were the members of that church or the disciples that it made. So if we understand that context as I believe it, this is God giving a message to the church who is under pressure and attack. And so what is it that the Lord has to say to his chosen lady, the church. The first is, uh, in, in verses 2 and 3, is that we need to love truth, and we need to embrace both truth and love. And when he's giving this greeting, he talks that, that because of this truth that lives in us and will be with us forever, we can experience this grace and this mercy and the peace and I see here this, this basic foundation of everything the church is built on. It's because of the truth of God. We are here today because of the truth of God. And everything we experience in the Christian life is because of that truth. It's just a little bit on truth here and what this means. There's a lot of ideas of, of truth and, and definitions in today's day and age. But it's pretty clear, at least from a biblical sense, that none of us can decide truth. We discover truth. Truth is revealed to us. To us. And this, this is every kind of truth in the world, that truth originates with God. 
And this is truth that we understand in the Bible, that everything we know about God and his plan for salvation. This also includes truth outside of the Bible, things that we learn in math and science. So, for example, we can all agree that 2 plus 2 equals... Yeah, good. Even the kids understand that one, right? They would have understand this, that at this point as well. But we didn't discover, or we didn't, uh, we didn't invent numbers. Numbers is what was given us by God. And that's a truth that will stand the test of time. Two plus two always equals four. But we're discovering things all the time when it comes to truth. You know, pretty easy to understand that our body needs blood. They knew that then. But they probably didn't know why. There's a lot of reasons why, but one of the main purposes of blood is to deliver oxygen all around the body to the organs and the tissues, and oxygen is like the fuel for us. They may not have known that, but we didn't invent the body to work like that. God did, and God made the body very complex, and we discover his truths. And there's even more complex truths than that. Some group of scientists and nerds figured out but 100 years ago, that the acceleration of gravity is 9.8 meters per second squared and that the terminal velocity is 53 meters per second. Okay, they didn't know that. I don't know how I know that, but God made the world that way, and we're discovering that. All of truth, all of truth is God's truth. We don't define it. We don't decide it. We discover it as it's revealed to us. And because of that truth, which is most perfectly personified in Jesus Christ, who lives in us and will be with us forever, we can experience the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. It all starts by embracing his truth. But we see two words repeated often through this whole short epistle is truth and love. And you can't have one without the other in Christianity. And I kind of thought about it this week, that, that truth and love are like the two rails that Christianity drives on, like a train. And you've all heard the story of the little engine that could, where he thought he could, he thought he could, and he made it up that hill. You know, the church is kind of the same way. We've gone through all sorts of hardships and persecutions and rolled events through the years, but the church has still survived and thrived because it runs on the rails of both truth and love. And the moment you take one of those rails away, there's a catastrophic failure. And I'll tell you, with playing uh, with a five-year-old now who has train sets and things, he loves nothing more than to see a train crash, right? Everything is now hot wheels to trains. It's just make them crash as soon as possible. But we want to keep moving on these rails of truth and love. And sometimes we get this wrong. We need a balance of both. Sometimes we, we take away the truth aspect of love where we're incredibly loving and compassionate of people, but the moment you start compromising on truth as a church, it is a slippery slope that leads toward disaster. And on the other hand, you may know the truth deeply and believe it, but you don't exhibit love for people. You're going to be a small, isolated community that's cold and compassionless. There can be no authentic Christian love without Christian truth, and Christian truth will be cold and hollow without Christian love. And when we embrace both the truth and the love deeply, it's going to change every part of how we live. 
That's really the second portion of this in verses 4 through 6 is this idea of living out the truth. You see here in, in verse 4 that Paul has this moment of great joy to find some of these children of this church, some of these disciples of the church, still walking in truth just as the Father has commanded us. And I've heard it said before that what we say with our mouths reflects what we think we believe, but what we live reflects what we really believe. And we are to live out the truths of God and His commandments. Now just consider a moment these churches and, and where they're at. These are somewhat isolated and independent churches, all of them going through different kinds of struggles and pressures. And John probably hasn't seen or heard of this church in months, years, or maybe even decades. It's hard to know at this point. And he's heard this report that they are still walking in the truth. They didn't have Facebook, social media, or text messages to catch up with one another, and this is going to shock all of you junior hires and senior hires in here. They didn't even have fax machines to stay in touch. You're probably saying, what's a fax machine? But, but complete isolation from one another. Now he's hearing this report, and it has this moment of great joy to know that they are living out the truth of God. And I've experienced this myself in many ways. It's now 20 ish years since I've seen a lot of my high school classmates. And that's when I really began to know the truth of Jesus when I was in high school. And I remember some of my classmates in, in school or in youth group were just these great professing Christians. They just seemed on fire. And some of them I've gone a decade or two without catching up with, and I'll run into them somehow. And, and you know, when I find one that's still living out this truth, it brings me so much joy to know where they're at. Some of them are ministries. I just caught up with one who I found out is a, is a senior pastor at another church in Minnesota. But on the flip side of that, there's this great sorrow when you find out that they have completely walked away from the faith. And they're professing agnostics or atheists, and they're living in rebellion to God. But there's this joy for Christians when we find out that, that other Christians are continuing to walk in God's truth. We see there first, that first way to live the truth is to walk in the truth. And this means to continue, to persevere, no matter what's thrown your way. We see other, a couple of other kinds of walks here as we live out the truth. So we need to walk in love. And this is really how we behave with one another. This is kind of a repeat of what Pastor Chris spoke on last week, if you were here. He spoke on the new commandment in John 13, when Jesus told his disciples that he's giving them a new and a greater command, that we are to love one another. And he goes on further to say that we are to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. And if we do that, then the world will know that we are his true disciples. And Chris really broke that down well last week. I encourage you to, to listen back to that message. But basically, this is a radical statement. Jesus is saying, love each other as much as I have loved you. Now think what that means and what Jesus did for you and his great love for you. He died for you on the cross to forgive your sins. 
We're to love each other in that same way. It's this reality that when you're walking in love, as you're walking in the truth, when you know that the, the truth of who Jesus is, is this immeasurable standard that we can never love like Jesus does. And so it's this realization that no matter where you are, if you feel like you're a pretty loving person, you've got room to grow. And you can always love more. Now, there's many challenging things that Jesus has commanded us to do, but in my opinion, this is the most challenging thing. But he reminds us of this command that Jesus gave us to love one another. And when you do this, you walk in obedience to his commands. And that's the third kind of walk we see in this as we live the truth. You walk in truth, you walk in love, and you walk in obedience. Now, knowing truth, being loving, having faith are all very good in and of themselves, but they're completely pointless if you don't walk in obedience. And this means if you walk in obedience that you understand the, the source, the authority of truth. And there's really four main options we have in our lives to determine what is true. The first is, is reason or our own thinking. Well, if we think something hard enough and long enough, we can determine it to be true, but we know that doesn't always work. It might be tradition, the things we've always done or the people before us, the things that they've always done, and if you just keep repeating what worked in the past, it should work. Sometimes those things are true, sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's our own personal experience. It's just simply how we feel about things. We might view that as our authority of truth. But the only truth we have, as we said before, is the revelation of God. It's the only thing we can walk in, in truth, in love, in obedience. And Jesus said, if you love me, what that also means is if you know me, you will keep my commands. Walk in obedience. These three verses, four through six, are almost so simple, it's poetic. We're to walk and the command to love, and love the commands in which we are to walk. But in all of that, we live the truth. And the last part is, is an important one. It's kind of retouching on what Pastor Phil shared in his fun little kids moment. That we're to look for truth. Look for truth. And Jesus promised that if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. If you're looking for truth Earnestly and honestly, God will reveal to you that truth. We can't believe everything we hear in today's day and age. And we're warned of deceivers and false teachers many times throughout the New Testament. And we're told that they're going to appear like wolves in sheep's clothing. What this means is that they're going to look very genuine. They're going to say all of the right things. And it's going to be easy to be fooled by them. There's a lot of different deception out there. Here, uh, John is, is warning us of the deceivers that are out there who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ. There's many kinds of deception. There's just the good old-fashioned lie, which means there's not a shred of truth in it. It's typically easy to understand that, but they're still very effective. But the most dangerous lies, of course, are very close to the truth. And there's things that are, are mostly true. It contains elements of truth taken out of context. And this is probably Satan's uh, 
first and favorite method. That's what he did in the garden. But to say something is mostly true is to say that there's only a couple of drops of sewage in my drinking water. Right? Mostly true lies are very dangerous. You might have the right truth with the incorrect emphasis, and this becomes a distraction when you're focusing on the wrong things, or maybe even the right words with the wrong meaning. But deception is all out there, and we're warned that we need to be looking for truth in the midst of the deceptions. But we're going to have four benefits that I'm going to kind of detail in the verses to follow. Four benefits as we look for truth. And the first, as we see in in verse 7, is that that the truth of God helps us first to recognize the deception. If you don't know what's true, then you won't know what's false. And here, he writes that we are, there's many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh and have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Every time I say antichrist, I always see a couple heads pop up. This is always a popular word, and people is this, this thing that gets everyone's interest going. We're going to talk about that in a moment here. But what they were dealing with as a church was probably the early stages of what we know of as, as Gnosticism. And, and this is something that really hinged on two main ideas. One is that there was special information given to special people, and that was the way towards salvation. And that everything that is physical is evil. So with these kind of thoughts circulating around, they had claims about Jesus that that if that were true, then Jesus couldn't have been a person. He couldn't have taken on the flesh, as we read in the Bible. And that's why he's clarifying here, anyone who does not acknowledge Jesus as coming into the flesh is a deceiver. And they're all over the place. This is another one of those situations where you could say, well... They're mostly true. They're sort of true. So what's the problem here? See, if Jesus didn't come as a human, then all of your theology begins to fall apart. And 95% of what you believe as a Christian hinges on who Jesus is. He's like the hub at the center of the wheel. And it all travels outwards. If Jesus did not come in the flesh, then he wouldn't have fulfilled the many prophecies of the Old Testament, or the requirements of the law. If he had not come in the flesh, then his crucifixion would have been fake, which means his resurrection would have been fake. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection, then everything else we believe is completely pointless. Because there's no sacrifice, there's no payment, there's no forgiveness of sin, and there's no salvation. You see, this is where it starts with deception. That's the couple drops of sewage in the drinking water. Just the smallest differences can make a big and drastic difference. Deception is the slippery slope, and all deceivers are dangerous. And that's why John refers to them as the Antichrist. Now, the word Antichrist itself is actually only found four times in the Bible. Three times in 1 John and then this verse right here. When we think of Antichrist, we typically think of this apocalyptic figure that uh, we also know of as the beast in Revelation or the man of lawlessness in Thessalonians that rises up shortly before the end of the world and deceives many. But what we're told 
by the Apostle John is that the spirit of the Antichrist is actually alive right now and has been since the first century. Antichrist really means to be against Jesus or to attempt to replace Jesus. And so anyone who denies the fundamental truths of Jesus are against him or trying to replace him with another idea and are exhibiting the spirit of the Antichrist. So what we know is if you're not sure about where someone stands, where they are on each side of the issue here, just listen to what they have to say about Jesus and understand the truth of Jesus to recognize the deception. We go into verse 8 here. He says, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. What we take away is that when you know the truth of God, it helps you to resist the deception after you recognize it. There's always going to be a hint of temptation with any kind of deception. Satan is the father of lies. And the way this works is he wants you to believe something so that you feel there's going to be an immediate payoff if you believe that lie. But then there's long-term ramifications and consequences for that lie. So there's always a bit of temptation. But knowing the truth helps us to resist that temptation to be deceived. Now to watch out means to be continuously on guard. That you don't give up on all of this stuff that you've worked for. And I don't believe that this means that we should all be afraid of losing our salvation at any moment. Once the truth lives in you, it will live in you forever, as we read earlier in this. But the moment the church starts to compromise on truth, it's that hole in the armor. It's the slippery slope. And I've seen many churches around us, both recently and in the past, uh, just say, I agree with all of this, except that one part. And then you see other things get chipped away. And when they're not looking for truth, but rather they're giving into the deception, then it's only a matter of time until the train falls off the tracks. We must resist deception as we know the truth. Verse 9, uh, anyone who who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So this is the idea that if we know the truth of God, we can reprove or we can correct this deception. Knowing God and following in his teachings is what keeps the church alive. Now those who give into the, the, to deception stop asking the question, what does God have to say about this? And I'll keep this point pretty quick. If there's ever a question, if you should or should not believe something about Jesus, you just say, what does God have to say about this? And then you continue in the teachings of Christ. John is clear that if you abandon the truth in the teachings of Jesus, that you don't have God. Continue in what you know is true. And this is the last one. It's kind of hard to understand again. The last point here. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, the overarching point here is that the truth of God helps us to completely reject deception. 
But one thing this verse is not saying is that we should never associate with a non-Christian. Because if the church as a whole decided that were true, then the church as a whole would cease to exist in about one generation. We are here today because we have interacted with non-Christians and those who have been deceived. False teachers need Jesus just as much as anyone else. But what it's really saying here is that you can't be complicit in their teaching. And things were incredibly different back then. These false teachers would travel from town to town to town. And they'd rely on people taking them in. And they'd really kind of base their operations over the house that they were being hospitable to. What John is saying is is don't strike up a conversation with them, but don't welcome them in. And basically fund their mission. So in every interaction you have, consider the direction of of influence. Be a light, be a witness, have conversations, listen, exhibit both truth and love. But know the moment that you are helping a false message, you need to stop and reject deception. But as we conclude today, I think this is a message we we need to just come back to the highest levels and understand what we need to take away. One is that truth absolutely matters. What you believe about Jesus today is going to matter for eternity. So seek him. Look for truth. And know the living God. And balance truth and love in your life. We need both of those things as a church to be the rails in which we go. Live that truth out by embracing it wholly and loving deeply and let it change every part of your life. And study his word because truth is all that matters. And when you know Jesus, you know truth. Walk in it. Let's pray as we close. So God, we thank you for your word and for this encouragement today, uh, and maybe for some, a conviction today. But God, those are two sides of the same coin that bring us closer to you. And so, God, I just pray that we, as your people, as your chosen, that we would be ones who walk in your truth, in your light. God, that we would not compromise on who you are, but God, that we would embrace it fully and that we'd live it out. But God, I pray in all of this that there would be such a joy in a sense of hope in our lives that others would notice that, that something outside of ourselves has changed us and that there would be a, a, a curiosity for them to ask about that. And God, that we'd have the answers. But I pray for anyone here today who's wrestled with truth and wondering what they really believe, that we'd understand the most basics of truth today, that we are sinful before you, that we are completely hopeless on our own, but that you loved us so deeply that you sent your Son to die for us and pay the price of our sins that we may live forever in you and that we can follow you every step of the way as we joyfully live out your commands. So God, I pray for anyone here in that position that they would come to that place of personal repentance and faith and hope and they can experience the life-changing truth that you offer that they live in that. But for all of us, God, help us to be centered around this, to be strengthened in that, and to go out into this world and to be your light and to be your hope. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.